Hello. 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 Hello, my name is Matthew West, and I'm the host of this podcast. It's called the Matthew West Podcast. I really hope you like it. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West, because who else would it be? And just like the theme song says, I really hope you like it. Thank you for joining me. We are well into the month of November. Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and I am fired up. Are you fired up for the holidays? I feel like we need them. And uh, I don't know that I've ever looked forward to the holidays as much as I am this year. So in the spirit of gratitude and Thanksgiving, I just want to say thank you to you for listening to this podcast. My team informed me that last week, the podcast crossed over 300,000 downloads for the Matthew West podcast. Unbelievable. We haven't even been in existence for that long, but because of you, we've reached over 300,000 downloads. And to my knowledge, nobody has demanded a recount yet. So... That's uh, too soon for an election joke. Okay, duly noted. I'll scratch the rest off of my list. Sorry, guys. Come on, we got to laugh a little bit. But thank you so much for listening, for subscribing, for leaving a review. And if there's a particular episode that you're loving, be sure to share it on social media. It's my hope that you, your friends and family, will find this as a source of encouragement and inspiration during what's been a really difficult year. All right, let's get on with today's show. This is going to be an epic time together. Can't wait to share it with you. My guest today is a best-selling author and speaker. She has a powerful testimony to share, and she shares it in a real, authentic, and vulnerable way that I know is going to speak to your heart. She's written an incredible book that I'm actually listening to the audiobook version of right now called Rhythms for Renewal. And she just released this awesome 90-day planner and journal called Rhythms for Life. It's 90 days to peace and purpose. And in this journal, she's going to guide you and me in a biblical way towards finding rhythm for our life so that we can live the best story. If you're anything like me, what's interesting is I'm in the business of rhythm with music, and yet rhythm in my life is so hard to find. And I want to be at my healthiest as I turn the corner towards 2021, finding that that rhythm that God intended for my life, and I believe God intended for your life too. So I have a feeling we're all going to get so much from today's interview. Without further ado, let's go to the story house with Rebecca Lyons. Rebecca Lyons, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I know you have your own podcast. What's it called, by the way? Rhythms for Life. That would make total sense. You know what? Because yeah, of the book that we're going to get to talk keep about. Keep it consistent. A bit. <laughs> and it's with your husband, Gabe. Yep. I listened to your most recent one, mm-hmm. but it was just you and your husband talking about a couple of the aspects yeah. from the new journal that's come out. Right. Do you have guests usually? Yeah, we typically always have guests, okay. but every season we'll throw in a couple of the two of us. Okay. <laughs> just the two of us riffing back and forth, but usually we always have a guest with us. And you've never asked me to be a guest. I know, because I've been waiting to meet you <laughs> and make sure you're vetted. No, oh, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you being on my show yeah, is you kind of test. test. Oh. Yeah, this is like a drill. Well, I just started sweating because <laughs> now all of a sudden I feel all this pressure <laughs> to impress you. So you do have guests on the show. This year it's been remote interviews, most yeah, likely. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. 
lately, I'm just like dragging people who live in the vicinity. I'm like, come on, let's do this. Just anybody? Just show up. Okay, so the bar's really low now. You're (laughs) vetting me for (laughs) really low I'm like, you live in Nashville, (laughs) and you can actually be across the table. Let's do it. (laughs) And and you live not far from where I live Yeah, we're in Franklin. Franklin, Tennessee, which is gorgeous. Do you live like among rolling fields? I was yes, talking with. I look at cows every morning. Do you really? Yeah, actual. Like steer. intentionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> intentionally, like as in and... my neighbor intentionally got them, and we get to look at them. <laughs> okay, you don't walk out into a field and just have a staring well, contest with cattle. <laughs> Actually, they bump up to our property. So our neighbors were so sweet; they put like a feeder box on them because they also have two donkeys that she's coined and named almond and flour <laughs> and so she was hopping the fence and like petting the donkeys but then the big steer like their massive steer they now had babies wait who was hopping the fence my daughter your daughter she was oh 15. so your daughter named the donkeys she named the donkeys even almond though they're and not flour? yeah they're not ours so as she's doing this our neighbor's like hey that's actually not really safe for her to jump the fence where the Cause, steer are because oh. they could all just kind of they're friendly but they're still really massive <laughs> okay and so they said we'll put a feeder box on the fence so she can feed them through the fence uh-huh. but we, we prefer her not jump the fence. So so she can now just reach through and, yeah. and pet almond yeah. and flower. And Joy goes with her. And Joy's like, you know, she's 40 inches. It's probably better for her to stay on this side and of the And Joy's fence. your youngest? Yeah, she's seven. So now. let's just start here with your family. You have uh, 13 four. children? Oh, four. Yeah, okay. 13. Okay. <laughs> 13 rounding down to four. Okay. So we have Kate, who's 19. So he graduated in... I guess, July or whenever they actually did the graduation this year. So he's now doing like a job placement program through the county. He has a Down syndrome diagnosis. So it's really awesome how they have like experiences for them for the next three years to learn different skills in different job sites. Awesome. And then Pierce is a senior this year. Okay. And Kennedy is a sophomore and Joy is a first grader. So we're You're going starting back. all over. We are starting all over. Yes. And, and so we're too old to rhythm, do this. Well, rhythm's fine. a big word for you, but like... Has that been a challenge to like watch this thing reset a little bit? From yeah, a- I knew it would be a lot. And still, it's a lot. Because, well, one thing, our three were all two years apart. So everything we did as a family 15 years ago was like, whether it was the Disney World thing or the zoo right. or the pumpkin patches, like we were all in. But right. Joy, on the other hand, is like living in a house with five adults. So it requires a lot more intention for her to have friends and kids her age and kind of get to do all the thing because I'm I'm like does everybody want to go to the pumpkin patch and everyone's like no (laughs) (laughs) all these like grown teenagers hopping on a hayride that's not their idea of fun anymore exactly so the other night when you know trick-or-treating happened it was really like her first time because she's only been with us about 18 months and last Mm. year I don't know what we were doing but we were not trick-or-treating and so she had girls her age, and she was, like, running behind them and got to the first door, and someone offered her, like, a full-size bar on a tray, oh, and she, her head almost exploded. She's like, I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> she was all in. So yeah. I, it's so fun to watch it again through her eyes, but it also makes me feel like, as a mom who's in her 40s, it just requires a lot of intention. So I'm, like, finding other old moms like me who have little. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm like, anybody else start over? Because um, I'll be in your club. <laughs> See, it's funny because this past weekend, my guitar player had a one-year-old birthday party for his daughter. I'm, like, wanting to hold their baby. It, like, I just get careful, sad. Because when you do that. Then you start wanting another. Yeah. See, my wife's already said, like. Okay. Yeah, she's... she's <laughs> 
two was the cutoff. There she had go. a really hard pregnancy with our second child, and she was like, I'm done. I'm like, are you sure? Because you still haven't given me like a football player that I can <laughs> cheer for. So, uh, but I remember like every time around little kids, it makes me a little sad to go like, ah. Oh, I'm never going to get to go back to that as a mm-hmm. parent, you know, mm-hmm. because it's all about me. It you know, is all about you going back thinking. to that moment. But you're getting to go back to that. I am. So I would think that it makes the holidays it does. pretty fun, though. It's so fun. I mean, and because she was in an orphanage the entire time till she was five and a half when we got her. Okay. She had a stint at a foster home, which is how we actually found out about her and got matched with her. And we were not pursuing adoption it was basically like a three-minute conversation every five years. Like, could we, should we, maybe, no, I think we're good. It was like literally that quick. Huh. Because when I had our youngest, Kennedy, I had three C-sections back-to-back. Because Kate, our first, was emergency. And then after that, it just was more convenient to have it scheduled. And so the doctor's like, you can't have any more biologically. And that's when you tie your tubes. It makes more sense. It's, you're already surgically there. And Gabe says, only if we're open to adoption. I'm like, well, of course I'm open, but like, what exactly do you mean by that? And then we wound up moving to New York City. We lived downtown in Tribeca in like a thousand square feet apartment with two bedrooms. We had three kids lined up like three bears. I was like, I'm not sure where we would put a fourth child. And that's kind of when I went through that season of mental, like panic disorder, anxiety, depression. So it wasn't like we were looking to add to the family. It was like survival mode. But when we got to Nashville six years ago, this is more than you asked for. No, this is what I want to hear. But that's when our church was talking a lot about foster care and adoption. And we had already had it in our heart as a seed, but it was also kind of like never really seemed right. And so we thought initially foster care, but because my work required me to fly almost every Friday from September to May, I would just teach on content on mental health. I was like, you can't do that with foster care. You have to be available if they call you on a Wednesday, and then you might get three siblings on a Thursday. And so we also had felt like if we adopted, we want to be able to choose Down syndrome this time around. And so our heart was just there. And so that's kind of how we left it open. And then finally, I just remember three years before we found out about Joy— I just said, God, if you want this to happen, I need you to put her right here and I'll name her Joy. And it kind of followed. It wasn't something we were going to pursue really hard. It was just like, God, (laughs) we're running really fast. We know that if you want this to happen, you can do that. You can interrupt our lives very easily. And it followed my season of depression. And I would always say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Mm. Or Psalm 126, those who sow in tears, burying the seed, reap a harvest with songs of joy. So it was always this kind of refrain of joy is the promise that follows suffering always. Mm-hmm. And so two years after I tell God this in my minivan in the garage, I had a moment with Jesus alone. I kind of let it go. And I got a text of a girl on my phone from my friend in Beijing who runs this foster home. And she's like, her file's going to the States tomorrow. Like, out of nowhere. I mean, we were not having this conversation anymore. I kind of moved on. Gabe and I were about to celebrate 20 years of marriage. I was like, why are you doing this to me? (laughs) You know, because like, I know I told God that, but like, we kind of just kind of moved on. And I said, she's adorable. What's her name? And she said, Cara, C-H-A-R-A. And I was like, do you mean the Greek word for joy? And she said, yes. So that kind oh, of was hard. To, that was kind of hard to shake. <laughs> it gives me chills, right? It's amazing. And still, I remember ringing up to Gabe the next day, and I was nervous to talk about it because I wasn't even resolved in my own heart. I was kind of like, okay, if he says no, then that's an easy out because I can just kind of blame him for you know whatever. And the crazy thing is that week he texted me, we needed to talk about Kara, and I was like, okay. And he's like, I think God's inviting us into something, and this might mean more than anything else we've done. And I was like. 
you were supposed to be my out. No, but truly, it actually got back to where it came to me to really go, wow, like this has been an idea for so long. But now. But am I prepared for the reality of it? And I do remember asking God in that season, does this mean I quit writing? And I just heard, do you trust me? Do I quit traveling? Do you trust me? Everything was just, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And it just kind of slowly got to the point of surrender of going, okay, you always invite us, you know, to lose our life so we can find it again. So it was a long story, but that's how we got where we are. (laughs) I love that you started talking about that by saying about God's ability to interrupt Mm -hmm. at any time, but then you use the word invitation Mm -hmm. and it's like the interruption is the invitation to answer the question. Mm -hmm. Do you trust me? Yeah, I love that. You guys hear me talk about my parents all the time. You know, my mom and my dad, they did such a good job at encouraging me to know that the most important relationship I would ever find in this life is a personal friendship with Jesus. And they were always quick to point me to where that journey starts by opening God's word, by memorizing his word, by learning more about who God is and how much he loves us. And guess what? Now I'm a parent. My wife and I, we are praying daily that God will show us and equip us with ways to teach our children the exact same thing. That's why I love what Zondervan's doing. They've created the number one Bible for kids. It makes the perfect gift for boys and girls alike. The Adventure Bible is available in four translations and a variety of colorful bindings. The Adventure Bible features captivating full color features that get kids engaged with God's Word. Isn't that what we want? I'm holding one right now and it is awesome. I think I might just make it my everyday Bible. Well, you can get one at AdventureBible.com. Now, when you go to AdventureBible.com, you're going to get more information about the Adventure Bible, plus free games, Bible word searches, and teaching resources. It's all available at AdventureBible.com. Zondervan, thank you for helping parents like me get my kids excited about reading God's Word. So how old is Joy now? Seven. Seven years old. Mm -hmm. And you adopted her how many years ago? This December. Like, it'll be two years. Two years. Yeah. So she was five. And how have you seen her just come to life and and thrive in these last two years? She's funny. She's so sassy with her sister because her sister kind of throws it at her, which is funny because Kennedy's the one who prayed for her like her whole life that we would adopt. And Kennedy's her next oldest. So she's our only girl. She's the youngest. And then now Joy is the second girl and she's young youngest. So they're funny. Their relationship cracks me up. She's like, mom, it's just what sisters do. What made Kennedy... Pray for a sister. You know what's funny? We took her to see War Room like years ago. I love that. And she didn't want to go see it because she thought it was about war. And we're like, no, it's actually a really good movie. You'll like it. She came home and she made a War Room in her closet. This was like four years ago, I guess. And she wrote, I pray that we'll adopt a baby sister. (laughs) And I remember, I remember Kate and I'd be like, maybe that's for you when you become an adult. (laughs) (laughs) But there it is. Like, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers. Totally. That's incredible. Totally. And one day I went in there and it was like ripped in half. And I said, hey, what's going on with this prayer over here, this one in particular? And she's like, yeah, I just figure it's never going to happen. But I remember her saying, I heard God say, like, it's going to happen. And so she's always had a real, like, strong mantle of faith since she was five. Like she, Because Cade, her oldest, she knew Down syndrome very well. And he would be a runner. Like, he'd like to escape. I remember we lived in Atlanta. He would, like, ran off in the Mall of Georgia. And we had to get all, all the security cops and everybody finding him dancing in the back of Hollister. So that was, like, the first time she's we lost 
not trying to run away. He just no, he's not lost at all. We're all freaking out. He thinks he's just exploring. Yeah, just having a blast. But she, as a youngest sister, kind of took this on. And I write about this in my second book, just like all the places we lost him, like Queens, Central Park. (laughs) Oh man! So, which is why we're not in New York anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You spent six years in New York. Five, five, four and a half. Yeah. What led you to New York? Okay, so we started a nonprofit called Q Ideas, and it's all about how to engage cultural, like the front lines from a biblical perspective. So arts, media, government, policy, education. Like Mm. what is a conversation culture is having, and is the church engaged in that? How does our faith make sense of the tensions of our time? So Gabe is a futurist, and he's always thinking about like where is society heading, and how does the church intersect that? Instead of just kind of us staying over here, talking about our own internal stuff and kind of turning a blind eye. Which is often the case. Yeah. And I think this is a year where it's all hit a tipping point to where the church is like completely awake to how much culture's tensions are affecting now home, affecting our home, affecting any home. I think the term is now woke. Yeah, that, no, that is the term. I was trying not to say it, but that is exactly the That's term. That's what the kids say, right? The church is woke? Yes, it is. I sound so awkward I know. just saying that. Well, let's, let's not say that. Well, no, I love it because woke has two definitions. Sure. You've, you've got a left woke and you've got a right woke. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Maybe Everyone's woke. <laughs> We're all woke. I know. And we just want to go to sleep and for a few And sometimes people want to coin the left as woke, but when in reality, it's like everyone is kind of reacting almost with an overreach out of kind of this alarm to where things really are. For me, it's interesting because we've had our head in this space for so long to be like, no, actually this policy was coming. And this other policy that came 40 years ago to redefine marriage and redefine Mm. life and redefine Mm. family, like that's actually 47 years old. (laughs) But some people are just coming around to the awareness. Well, just to the implications of having civility around religious freedom and conscience. Sure. Which we now, I think the wokeness now is like, that's actually eroding. Like, it's one thing to disagree on how you see marriage or how you see family or sexuality or gender. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to force the other party to agree with what you agree. That's actually the thing to get woke about, that we are losing, uh, don't get me started, but we're losing the very foundational freedoms that we were created as a society, as a country. And that's what made America so unique is Mm. that we actually had a constitution to protect religious liberty. And that is eroding. Which will then wake people up. Yeah. Hopefully in the best ways. Yeah. But then learn how to approach culture with a firm belief that you have. Use your platform however God wants you to use it, but to know how to interact with culture. It sounds like that's the mission of your organization. Yeah. So Q, like we'll have Q&A and we're talking about eight big topics. What's Q&A? So Q stands for questions. That's our nonprofit. We've convened around the country and cities for 15 years. So we talked about like transgender before Target made their bathrooms. We talked about legalization of marijuana in Denver before, like that had just started to become a conversation. So you're covering some pretty major topics and having an open dialogue about it. Yeah. And it's really for faith leaders, but it's actually for everyone that's on the front lines of those seven channels of culture, finance, art, media, government, like all those things I was just saying, Mm. but people who are followers of Jesus in those spaces that often feel so alone. And this, again, was 10, 15 years ago. Now it's more normative to feel alone in a lot of spaces, but just to go, hey, you're not alone. 
So the question that we're always asking every year with whatever's coming around the bend. So Q happens annually at Music City Center in April, every April. Man, I feel like I've been floor. under a rock. How okay, have I not? Well, you're, you got to come. I need to come year. to this. Yes. Are you vetting me for that as I well am. to see I'm if like, I can attend? I'll see, make sure if you can get okay, it or not. Good, good. <laughs> no, but we'll have 40 presenters, three days, nine and 18 minute talks. We'll do all these breakouts. It's oh, like awesome. Ted. Yeah. With faith, basically. But the point is, I think the more we understand what's at stake, the more we can know how to thoughtfully engage. So we moved to New York because a lot of the people we were serving in 2010 when we moved there were coming through New York. So a lot of people that were on those front lines of those industries as thoughtful Christians were always in the city. So we just decided to move there and be what we had been kind of like be immersed in culture. What you're saying, yeah, yeah what you hope like your organization. Like practice what we would preach. Yeah, very good. Exactly. That's awesome. So we moved there when our kids were five, seven, and nine when most people with kids that ages were leaving. We're leaving, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go out to the suburbs. Yeah, for sure. How formative was the experience of living in New York for that amount of time for your children and for you guys and for the lens by which you now see the world? It like changed everything because we lived in the suburbs of Atlanta, kind of a lot like Nashville. I call, oh, it, sure. I call it Christianville. We both grew up in the church, like very conservative churches. We went to Liberty, like all that. All so, the things. Yeah. You all check the all the boxes. Things. Yeah. I'm Falwell Senior married us. I mean, I'm not sure what else to say. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Senior. Noted senior. <laughs> Let's let, yeah, <laughs> okay. we, won't, Anyways, we won't talk about junior today. But all that to say... I think New York was such a breath of fresh air, though, honestly. Like, I loved it. I mean, I did have panic disorder, and we can get to that later. But yeah, I w- <laughs> once I kind of came out of that about 18 months in, it was a real alive season. The church was vibrant there. You weren't there casually as a Christian by name. You were there because you really believed that God was up oh, to yeah. something big. Yeah. And you would congregate on Sunday, even if it was like 30 <laughs> of you or 300 of you. Yeah. You're just like, we're in this together. And yeah. then you would go back out. There was a real solidarity of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. there. And I believe God got so loud for me in that context different than when I was in a place that was more culturally In the Bible Belt. Yeah. I have a friend in Los Angeles, and we've always talked about the juxtaposition of where he lives versus where I live. And, you know, the question in LA is like, you're a Christian? And the question in Nashville is, which church do you go to? Right. Right. And so with that comes a different testing of your faith. Yeah. And maybe on a deeper level, like if you're going to be a follower of Christ in this certain area, certain region of of the country... You better really mean it. Right. Whereas a lot of times we can slip into sort of a lukewarm place in the Bible Belt. It's more the norm. There's so many people who would say, oh, I'm a Christian, but maybe their lifestyles don't resemble that, but they go to the right church and they check all the right boxes. And obviously the Bible warns us about that type of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, these people confess with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I'm paraphrasing the scripture, but I think about that a lot of times. And sometimes, you know, that convicts me in the best way, like living in the Bible belt. And I will say like, New York has always been if not my favorite city to travel to, like one of my all-time mm-hmm. favorites. Like whenever yeah. I see New York on my schedule, I'm like, yeah. I'm already making reservations for it. I'm going to have dinner. Yes. Obviously not in 2020, but yes. but I love the city of New York yeah. and I love that you guys live there. You mentioned your husband being futuristic in his thinking. I'm reading the audio book. Can I say I'm reading an audio book? Yeah, well, listening. I'm listening to your audio book. I, <laughs> I read songs. <laughs> do, you, do you read my songs? No. Yeah, I read them. When I go on my walks, I pop in an audio book and I yeah. love that. Yeah. I love it. Right? I love it. So I'm listening to your voice. That's your voice. Yeah. Now I can tell that you didn't hire. No. I have on other books and people are like, why did you have somebody else read your book? I was like, I don't know. I didn't know what to do. Or like a time. James Earl Jones yeah. or, or a... <laughs> 
Morgan Freeman. Exactly. That's who I, I, I might It just get, sounds smart. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> no, you sound great. I'm listening to this book and I love it. But speaking of being futuristic in your thinking, here's the title, Rhythms of Renewal, and then the subtitle, Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose. My question for you is, this released last year. Did you know at that time last year that 2020 was going to be the dumpster fire that it has become? And if you knew then, why did you not <laughs> warn us? I did. I had a dream about a global <laughs> pandemic. Do you have it a direct on- <laughs> line to the government or to God? So you're in New York City and you start having some issues with... Yeah. Panic attacks, yeah, right? Yeah, my first one was four months in on a flight from Atlanta back to LaGuardia at midnight. And we had a ton of turbulence, probably 10 minutes before we landed. And something just rose in me. Like, it came on so fast and so strong, I didn't know what it was. And I've heard this from other people. You think you're having a heart attack. Like, you're almost having this out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. You can't understand why you feel like you're dying (laughs) for no good reason. And so... I remember as we're trying to land in the planes just bobbing in the air, me running to the front of the plane while everyone's doubling down with their seatbelt. I was less afraid of the plane crashing as I was that once it finally landed that I would be trapped in the back of the plane. So it it was weird because for me, panic started on a flight, but then for the next 18 months was planes, trains, elevators, subways, and crowds. So it was definitely rooted in claustrophobia. But you had never struggled with this before? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. But we had moved four months prior, probably one of the more traumatic moves of my life from this suburban, very comfortable, sold 75% of what we had, didn't really know a lot of community. We had several people in New York, like Christian community, but it was new in every way. And all of a sudden you go to 8 million people in the span of 11 miles. So there is no such thing as personal space or quiet or reprieve. Well, when you think back, were there moments like where you can see how it was building up to something? Or were you feeling fine and not really aware of something out of the norm taking place in your mind or in your heart? Like, was there something leading yeah. up to that? So we or? got there in June, and this happened in early October, end of September. I would say once we got to New York, it was like exciting. It was summer. We were doing like all the touristy things. and But there was this lingering kind of back of my head like, what did we just do? You know, like we've left 13 years of building a home and a family. And since we got married in Atlanta and something in me, like the positive and the negative of a type four on the Enneagram is kind of like you're feeling all the feelings and then you can be tempted to kind of follow that narrative of regret, even though you knew that you were called there and there's a good reason behind it. And you sized up the pros and the cons or the costs and the benefit, but you still get there and you're like, wait a minute, like I want to go back. Right. Just out of kind of fear of the unknown and the indefinite future of that. Not just the unknown, but how long, whatever. And so while it was exciting, it was kind of one of those relationships with the city that like it was a love-hate. It was like, I loved certain parts of it because I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. But then in the quiet of the dark, you know, I'm kind of like crying, like what in the world? Yeah. Is this life as we now know it? you know, and not ready for that big of a shift mentally. Was the panic attack on the plane enough of a disruptor where you were like, okay, something's up. I need to talk to Gabe. I need to figure this out. Or did you just kind of dismiss it at first and go, that's just a one-time thing. 
What happened in your mind after that fact? Yeah, well, because I'm a firstborn type A, usually high capacity person in control of things. Control freak is what we like to recovering. You talk about that in your book. <laughs> yeah. So I think when you're kind of overcome with something out of body, the radar's up. Like, wait a minute. You know, normally I could kind of persevere and endure through these like whatever, but this was something that I don't have a box for. Like you felt powerless in that moment. Yes. To and that's it. really what claustrophobia ultimately is, is a feeling of powerlessness. And the more I've studied it, it's a metaphor for feeling trapped. And I did feel trapped in that season, in that circumstance. It could be a relationship, a circumstance, a it doesn't have to be physically like you were put in a box <laughs> or a closet. Like you're just, you're trapped in a situation that you don't see a way of escape and your amygdala just starts to fire, fight or amygdala. flight. Yeah. Look at you bringing a big word into this <laughs> show. You, you know might what? have just won the award the for the brain. biggest word. Hey, I just read Body Keeps the Score. That's where you learned this stuff. <laughs> amygdala. That was what I wanted to name our first daughter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's so. got a great frontal lobe. <laughs> okay. That's what the frontal lobe is? Well, the no, the amygdala is that part of the brain that fires under duress. Okay. So it's fight, flight, or freeze is what your brain's wanting to do right then. It's releasing cortisol, which is all these stress hormones that are just flowing through your body. like, And they won't go away for about four hours. Okay. So if you had a fight with someone or you're afraid, you're already amped. And so a panic attack would do that times 10. And then if it's tight spaces that creates that, then that Physically means, tight spaces. Yeah. yeah. yeah some, whatever it is that creates that amygdala and yeah. that cortisol just to go like rapid fire, then if it doesn't subside for four hours, if you keep putting yourself in situations that keep doing that to your brain, your brain's almost rewiring itself to always be in that high intensity alert mode. So so then it becomes more frequent yeah, and more yeah. likely that you'll get more and more. Yeah, because if you live in New York City oh, and then you actually walk through a crowd, like get on a subway, yeah. go underground, get on an elevator, I mean, you can't commute anywhere without putting yourself in that environment constantly. So in that first few months, it was almost like I just slowly let go and gave up. I would just walk everywhere in the winter. You know, I'd walk through Central Park to my kid's school because I would try to claw the doors back open on a subway I write about all this a lot, that whole crash and burn story in my first book, because yeah. it was this raw, losing control surrender. It was like just a long, drawn-out surrender, um, getting kind of to the end of my will and my, almost my, the way I had perceived myself as a survivor, you know? Because that's who you are in that mode. You're, you're a survivor and you're a fighter. And so I would do the fight or the flight it's traumatic because it was so scary at the time. Were you going to counseling like throughout that whole thing? Was it a counselor that helped you kind of pinpoint it? Yeah, I kept saying there's something physically wrong and they're like, no, your body's checking out fine. Like a lot of people will think they have like arrhythmia of the heart or... They're smothering, like, because to me, it was also a breathing, like, restriction. I couldn't ever get a deep breath, so I was always, like, fighting for breath. And the doctor would say, I think your body's actually just now responding to the emotional kind of weight you've been carrying. And at that point, my son, Cade, was nine. But he had a pretty traumatic birth. And I think I was just kind of probably had a little bit of PTSD from that, just being on the table and couldn't breathe because I'd had two epidurals. Mm. And it kind of started to go up in my lungs, and I couldn't talk, and I felt like I was dying on the table. And I remember the doctor saying, if you stop breathing, we can breathe for you. So it was 
like that, Traumatic. like becoming yeah. a mom, uh-huh. like I almost died that day. Wow. So that I think was part of maybe some of the muscle memory. But then I just think the pressure cooker of the city just brought that to the surface in a way. Yeah. And so it was almost like a combo situation. But all that to say, I processed it some, but it did feel like a lot of crying out. And I definitely had a rescue moment. Like God changed it all, you know, or I wouldn't be telling the story. (laughs) Describe that rescue moment. Yeah. So September 20th of 2011, which wound up being just over a year later, I remember telling Gabe at that point, like, I'm kind of lost my my identity as wife and mother. I just my even stability or my ability to function. I was in a group of four women who had moved to the city around the same time as me. One had already been there, but we met every Tuesday and we just talked about like scripture and just kind of a support group <laughs> with some scripture thrown in. Like it was definitely yeah. like, how is everybody doing? And they went to my church and they asked me how the panic was going, and I just didn't want to talk about it anymore. I was just kind of avoiding people and avoiding circumstances that would propel that. And I said, it's fine. And I just remember them asking to pray for me. They could see that it wasn't fine. Yeah, but I just get so tired of talking about sure, it. Like yeah. I was like, oh, I don't have an answer. It sucks. <laughs> Especially, And there's moments where it's like, I wonder how many times people feel like they're even wearing their friends out with what's going on in their life. And so they just, you yeah. know, they're not fine and really could use that support. Totally. I was yeah. like always joking. Like I didn't want to be Debbie Downer from SNL. Right. <laughs> 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 it's like, I was like, it's really funny skip, when you watch somebody else do that. But if you're that person. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> so I do remember them praying for me. And then that night went to small group and we wound up praying about something else. And a lot of people were talking in that season about like just the power of the Holy Spirit, like just kind of bringing the dead to life. And just what does that resurrection power really mean (laughs) tangibly in our everyday life? You know, like the same spirit that conquered the grave lives in us, but really. What does that mean? What does that mean? Like, I don't feel like I'm living a resurrected life. I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm drowning. Mm -hmm. So that night I woke in the middle of the night in a panic attack. So it wasn't even contained to small spaces at that point. It was just unexpected at all hours of the day, walking to the playground or in my own bed. And so Gabe knew the drill, and he sat up with me, and I couldn't find my voice. I was so, like, heightened. And so he started to pray for me. And just halfway through, I believe the Spirit of God gave me my voice, and I raised my left hand. I'm left-handed. I don't know why I raised my left hand, but I just remember all of it very vividly, and I just said, rescue me. Mm. deliver me. I cannot do this without you. And in that moment, my body just broke on the bed and all was still. It was just like the first time I ever came out of a panic attack without having to leave the room because you're going from trembling and I couldn't move. And I believe now looking back, I mean, I was obviously flooded with peace and there was almost like a weight of his glory in a way that was like paralyzing. <laughs> you know what like I mean? forcing like, you to be Yeah, still. like I couldn't move. Yeah. In the dark, just my eyes are like moving back and forth. You couldn't fight. You couldn't Mm-mm. flight, right? <laughs> couldn't, like none yeah. of those reactions yeah. were possible in that moment. Yeah. It was always calm. See, what I love is when you said the words rescue moment, I'm thinking, oh, like, okay, the moment where you felt God rescue you out of that. But what you led to was you raising your hand and finally saying like, God rescue me. Mm-hmm. And then if my people who are called by my name, like he will hear us. Yeah. And he heard you. I love that image of the weight of his glory being like, I got this. Yeah. I got this. Just be still. Yeah. 
I'm imagining that the list is long of the amount of opportunities that you've been given now. First of all, I'm so impressed to hear you speak with such authenticity about this chapter of your life. Is this still something that you struggle with from time to time, that you'll have a panic attack of some kind? or Yeah, I hadn't had another one for seven years. Like After that night, it took seven years to have the next one, and that's how I began Rhythms of Renewal, was just almost like the story that came out a year ago of how I was trapped in a... But up until that point, like I was traveling, praying for people left and right. People were getting healed. Because of you sharing out of your pain, most people would rather share about the goodness in their life, right? But you're able to share about how God has been good through one of your biggest trials. Tell me what that's been like to see yeah. God use what you would call brokenness in your life to be an encouragement to them and how many people are battling some form of anxiety. Right. And it was crazy because I never had an agenda with it at all. I remember writing the story in my first book, Free Fall to Fly, and I wanted to call it a breathtaking journey toward a life of surrender. Mm. And my publisher's like, nobody wants to surrender. So we changed it to <laughs> a breathtaking journey toward a life. Nobody wants to, but we need to. <laughs> but I write a poem in the inside flap of that book about how we don't choose to surrender. Surrender chooses us. And it mm. kind of finds us in our deepest pain and in our longing and our and our lostness. And it pulls us out. And it's like God used that surrender moment was a prayer of like, I can't do this without you. Like, rescue me, deliver me. I cannot do this without you. And I didn't know at the time that there is a psalm that David did. I read it later and I was like, this was that night, but Psalm 18 is David's psalm of rescue. And he's like, the ropes of death were wrapped around me. Mm. And talks about Sheol and being like in a pit and just like, he goes, but you reached down from on high and you pulled me out of a deep water. And you rescued me because you delighted in me. And with my God, I can attack a barrier and I can leap a wall. And you led me to a wide open place. And like all the promises, right? Like we want all those promises of like victory and abundance and perseverance and tenacity. But what we don't remember is like before all that, he was like wallowing in a pit in a fetal position. You know what I mean? Like powerless to anything apart from God. And so I think what it did for me as a high functioning perfectionist, achiever. <laughs> and I don't say those with like disdain. God made me with drive and I'm grateful for all those things. But like I could have had a decent life operating in my gifts mm. without the power of God pruning that in a way that allowed me to not just tell a good story, but actually write or tell a good story about Him. I was doing a talk about it early on and it just came out of my mouth without me thinking about it until later. Someone tweeted it or something, but I said, it's not my story of struggle. It's his story of rescue. And it was really, that's the point. The point about like our pain ultimately is for his glory to be on display of how he shows up in that secret place and he becomes our help, our ever-present help. And I think people struggle so much with mental health still to this day because we're trying to like pull ourselves out of the pit. We're like, just throw me a rope. You don't need to like pull me out. Just throw me rope. Help me climb my way out. And I'm teaching all about mental health for sustained rhythms. Like I'm all about doing the work and putting it into practice because he can rescue us, but we could fall back in if we're, but it's still like that deliverance moment is still something that only God is capable of doing. That rescue The deliverance. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously the disciplines and the prudence of being intentional, living a life like that 
he does empower us and he sets us on a path to do I that. I love that. And you don't even know it, but you're talking right to me just because I'm the kind of person that I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure that I never lose power. You know, that mm-hmm. I'm, that everything's manageable. I can fix it. And in doing so, just living my life with a complete tilt towards self-sufficiency and not being as willing as I should be on a daily basis to raise my left hand because I'm left-handed too (laughs) and say like, I cannot do this without you. Rescue me. What you've just described beautifully is submitting and surrendering to God and the importance of that, but then being intentional in the way that we live our lives instead of letting our lives completely run us. Right. I think God is it's almost like he's willing to pull back the curtain and mm. reveal more of his his power at work in us if we're willing to actually see what's behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> because it's not just him pulling back the curtain. It's like the more he reveals himself to us, the more it exposes our blind spots or our coping mechanisms are running. I think deep down, like if I'm being totally honest, I get worried to do the real work on me because I'm worried about that thread pulling the sweater I believe there's a real glory in the unraveling. We're like so afraid of it because we have built all these things to protect us from it. Are we all in a constant state of unraveling if we'll allow ourselves to Well, as we grow and, you know, when you think about the vine and the branch, he's like, if you're bearing fruit, you're still pruned so that you'll bear more fruit. If you're not producing any fruit, that branch will be burned. Like, And I think of different seasons of my life where I, maybe that branch was bearing a lot of fruit and then it just stopped. And God's like, okay, that's the end of an era. You're done with that. I'm doing a new thing. I'm an author of life, regenerative God. I'm always doing something new. So don't hold too tight to the branch that used to be bearing fruit. Good, yes. So because of that, I think the unraveling that continues is more about release, release, surrender, letting go, letting go, letting go. Because... The minute we hold too tightly to anything, it just all of a sudden loses its ability to to produce fruit. And yet he's saying, like, I'm always wanting you to walk by faith, not by sight. Mm. And so I look at you in your career, a lot of people who maybe have been in their career for a decade or two decades of ministry, God's still going, hey, I want to invite you into that interruption that is invitation, like 2020 for crying out loud. If that's not an interruption that elicits invitation, I don't know what is. Yeah, we can't be deaf to that invitation. Yeah. And that's what's so glorious about the unraveling is that I think he's actually allowing things to happen because it invites us into deeper intimacy with him, which is the secret sauce for anointing. You actually can't have a song that's anointed if you're not in that crushing, pressing, broken place. I'm I'm not saying you don't write great songs out of rejoicing and victory, but still it came from the pressing. It came from the crushing. And that to me is why I am actually kind of thankful. And I don't want to say this flippantly, but I'm thankful that the church is actually going through some sense of a fortifying of faith and almost like a regrouping of like how we do it, what it looks like, what we've grown accustomed to, what's comfortable, what's counted on. When we're stagnant, we become safe. When we become safe, we actually are rendered powerless. Like it's kind of mute at that point. And so I think it's a good thing. And like you said, I don't think it will ever end. I look at my life in three chapters. Mm. I was born Two parents, Christian school teachers. I played trumpet. I was a drum major, like band, like music my whole life. Then get married in college, 
26 have my first son. So that to me was like my life began again at 26 when Cade was born because that was an example of a crushing. And then nine years later, we moved to New York. And that was another example of like putting all the chips back in the middle of the table to get to the end of myself again. And then when we said yes to joy, Hmm. it seems like almost every decade, it's been like this invitation to like begin again in such a way that you're ready and you have to be ready and almost willing to end life as you knew it. And it doesn't mean that God's not going to bring that back in. Like the birthright gifts in the womb don't change. He knit you and he gave you that DNA and that's not going to change. But sometimes we think it will if the circumstances in which we use those gifts change. And he's like, no, I'm just going to continue to use those in a new way. And that to me is exciting because then we don't have to despair if something ends. Sure, you might be like, oh, that era was awesome, but it's no longer because now it's all about innovating or creating again. Yeah, welcoming that new fruit to take place, that should give us as a follower of Christ just a daily hope, even when we're seeing something ending, to know that that's the beginning of something new, something beautiful, if we'll allow him to, yeah. to prune yeah. this tree. This is so it's good. Painful. I, it's yeah. painful, and we don't always want it. I mean, I was mad. I was mad about being sent to my room in March. Like I was supposed to be in 30 cities this year, and I wound up getting to seven. And yet in the end, I was just thanking God the other day, like, wow, God, Gabe and I have tried more new things in the last six months than we have in the last five years, as far as professionally. And it's been fun. And I was like, okay, yeah, you still give us creative thoughts and ideas. This book, though, Rhythms for Renewal, and then you've just released This is in the spirit of being intentional, right? Mm -hmm. The Rhythms for Life planner and journal. I said to you before we turned the microphones on that I'm like a font geek. I'll decide which restaurant I'm going to eat at based on whether or not I like the font of their sign or the same. same. Okay. Your book, it's first of all, not only is what's inside worth reading and taking part in, but it just is really nice to look at. Thank you. Both the Rhythms for Renewal book, like, I just wanted to praise you for your your choice of fonts. Thank you. And your designers, which yeah. I'm I'm told you are pretty active in the process. Yes, I usually go find them myself. So I just want to talk about what would be most important okay. for people to hear about yeah. the Rhythms for Renewal and Rhythms for Life because people need to check this out. And why now? Why now? Why, why now? this year? Yeah. Because it feels like for right now. In, yeah. As I'm listening to the audiobook, I'm like, okay, I don't think I'm the only one who needs what you're sharing right now. Yeah, so it's interesting that it's taken several years to establish these rhythms. So after that panic attack kind of rescue moment, I remember going out to Connecticut that summer for a couple weeks, coming back in the city, had to get back on the train, and I was feeling pretty good. But I could feel that muscle memory wanting to kind of start to rise in me, like, you're going into the depths of the earth. (laughs) What if the door shuts and you're trapped underground? And I just remember I wrote in my journal that day, like I said, I need rhythms of renewal to like practice to kind of get my heart and my mind back in a place of health. Like I had had that rescue moment, but still it meant now what? You set me free, but how do I live free? How do I walk free day by day? And what are the boundaries Mm. that I need to put in place? Because a lot of us spin out because we actually have no boundaries. And freedom really actually is best in constraint. I love that verse in Psalm 139. He says, you hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. This idea of like, if you put kids in a backyard, you know, they'll run free as long as there's a clear border. You know, they'll explore. But if there's no fence, they'll just huddle together. So this, it's like we need to know where the boundaries are, and then we can operate freely within them. Wow. So God created rhythm, life and rhythm, circadian rhythm, 
in creation, evening, morning, first day, second day, third day. And renewal means to make new again and again. So this is the idea of like when we operate in rhythm, we're being made new over and over and over every morning. His mercies are new. So I just started studying scripture of like how did God show up in rhythm? So you see planets in orbit, weight, tides on the beach, heartbeat, like everything that's life requires rhythm, heartbeat, pulse, labor pains. You know, God's like, I'm a God of order and routine and rhythm. That's seasons and that's months, good. weeks, months, yeah. years. Like pay attention to that. And so I was like, okay, if we feel chaotic or stressed out in 2020, what is order? Like what does order and structure look like? So when you think of circadian rhythm, it's like God already knew when our bodies need. So a, a sunrise emits blue light actually, which tells you to wake up like our phones and devices have. Mm. But a sunset emits red light, which is natural melatonin for your body. So mm. if you just went out and sat on your front porch or took a walk at sunset, you would actually like physically start to slow down and mentally your mind would slow down versus staring at your phone till 11 p.m. that's telling you to wake up. So it's like, it's interesting how God made our bodies and he knows what we need and he uses all means necessary for our healing. And I really wanted this project, 15 months of research where science and faith would collide, where it's not just like this wellness community that's getting healthy over here without God, but it's not this church community over here that's just praying for stuff, but we're still putting crap in our bodies and wow, we're like yeah. running ourselves ragged and not being good stewards of what we've been given. So I'm like, okay, if, if these two things could come together, science and faith, because God, again, is the creator of science and like understanding how our brains work and what they need and what breathing's for and all this stuff, then let's get smart about that. And I just wanted to break it down in the four rhythms that I see God inviting us into, which is rest, restore, connect, create. So rest is spiritual health, our inner life, our hearts. Restore is physical health. It's our bodies, energy, food for fuel, sleep, all that good stuff. So rest and restore, input rhythms, connect and create our output. And the reason why the American Institute of Stress says 77% of us have physical symptoms of stress, that's racing heart, sleepless nights, shallow breathing, a mind that won't quit, is because we're living in those output rhythms, actually. We're so good at connecting and creating. We're always hmm. like moving and shaking, but we're actually not doing any input of rest and restore. Wow. So our bodies are fatigued. That's why panic attacks happen. That's me. I... We don't get any restorative slowing. And so I start with rest as a foundation because God's not optional. It's not like an optional command. He exiled his people for 70 years because they didn't rest the land. He's like, I mean it. If I'm God and I'm resting and I rest after I create, I'm obviously not saying if you feel like it, you know, it's like, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So I write about Sabbath. I write about routines for deep sleep, morning routine, tech detox, silencing the noise, examining the heart. Like all those things can only happen if you're in a posture of rest. Mm -hmm. And then from that place of filling, restoring, reviving, that the Holy Spirit can only do when you're actually still enough to allow that to happen, then you're going, okay, physically, what food can I eat for fuel? Hey, if I take a brisk walk outside or even like raise my heart rate 10 to 15 minutes, that releases serotonin, which there's medication, obviously. Antidepressants have serotonin in them, but you can do that naturally serotonin is that happy hormone that immediately is released in your brain if you raise your heart rate for 15 minutes and it gives you a sense of confidence well-being positivity like if you have killed it at a class or something you're like all of a sudden feel like you could do like three new initiatives in your company oh, you know yeah. so if you imagine doing that daily god's allowed our bodies to be made in such a way that would propel us 100%, to, to yeah. innovate so again 
fitness isn't really optional either if you want to be thriving. Right. So right. I think sometimes we look at medication, and I'm not anti-medication whatsoever, but we will look at it to be this like magic pill when really a lot of times what we need are these practices in our lives, these disciplines, these boundaries that saying you're going to thrive best just by these simple principles of mm. what you put in your body and how you move your body. And if you're in a like writer's block or whatever, I'll get out, I'll go for a walk. And then all of a sudden I'll have so many thoughts flowing, oh, gosh. right? Why is it going for a walk like... Same with me. I yeah. just start writing. Yeah, notes because down your all the subconscious time. is now freed. Yeah, you're not pushing so hard at the laptop or the guitar, however you do it. Your subconscious is so freed that it starts to connect the dots. That's good, yeah. In the ways you weren't able to do it when you're forcing it. It's why people get ideas in the shower. It's like basically whenever you don't have a phone on you, is you're like, I gotta write this right. down. I'm gonna <laughs> lose it. <laughs> so when you're I not trying. That. So the first two are input, meaning like taking care of yourself, not in a selfish way, but doing the things. Like when you're on a plane, it's going down. It's like, hey, make sure you put your mask on before you help everybody else. And then the output. Or connect and create. And that output will be stronger when you've taken care of rest and restore. And I do think it's a holistic picture of health, right? So if you think of it as a pie with four quadrants, you've got your inner life, your heart life, basically. That's spiritual health your physical life, your body, and then your relational health, and then your vocational health. And they build on one another. So it's hard to like co-create you know, or collaborate in your vocation if you're not in good relationships with your people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's why I think connect comes next. You're filled up, but now how's your marriage? How's your parenting? How's your family? How's your peers, your friendships? So I talk a lot on vulnerability, apologizing first, hospitality, doubling down in marriage, actually working for it to thrive, even though you might be tired. That's good. (laughs) And then hugs. Hugs is a big one on that one. Just the science of a hug. If you hold a hug for five to seven seconds, like a real hug, not maybe just a side hug, it will release oxytocin in your brain, which is that emotion or feeling of connection and belonging. And so for our teens, you know, I'm not hugging them in front of their friends, like bear hugs. But when they come in the door, I'm like, you belong here. You're known here. You're seen here. I love that. You got to just be proactive. And on a year where we can't touch or hug or whatever, like you're going to have to have those people that mm, you're doing that with because they need to know where they belong. Now I have some science to back up why I hug my daughters like crazy long and they're like, dad. I know. (laughs) I know. They fight it, but they love it. That's what they'll remember. And so the importance, what I love is you didn't just write the book Rhythms for Renewal, but you've written this, as I've already mentioned, this Great font selection, but this awesome planner and journal. And it's 90 days to peace and purpose. Now, this just came out. I have, is it true that I have the first yeah. copy off the presses? Yeah, right straight. Or I you, drove from the printer to your you house. Say that to all the podcasts. <laughs> this is an awesome journal. Talk about a great way to step into these final months of 2020 and look ahead to 2021. Like, if somebody started this right now, it would like cross over into, into the, the new, new year, which is kind of cool yeah. to think about. Yeah. Cause only 20% of people who make resolutions keep them. Yeah. You said something. I actually wrote your quote down. You said transformation doesn't happen with a deep dive of a resolution every January. Transformation happens when you actually change the way you engage every single day. Dang. Take <laughs> Your that, mic just New dropped on the ground. No, I'm not trying to be a hater, but the whole point of rhythms is it is a lifestyle shift. I believe transformation happens one small step at a time. It's not a cold turkey thing because you can't sustain that. And one other last thing on the planner is that Every morning you set your intention. So I write out, there's a square that for each rhythm that says, today I will. 
in the rest rhythm. You get to check a box. Today I will in the restore rhythm. And we give you prompts. We I give love you it. Like, so I just opened to a random Wednesday, which happens to be the day that this podcast releases every day. For rest, today I will spend time alone, reflect and journal, declutter my desk. For my wife would say, clean your closet, my closet that is, get eight hours of sleep, and then restore goes down to stretch, take a walk, cook a favorite. All of these sound yeah. like good you get to just things pick worthy one of or, doing. Yeah, or just if it feels like, to, just add in whatever is restorative to you, but it's to give you prompts because there's these input rhythms list and output rhythms list at the front. So there's a couple hundred options because what we're learning and the more I've studied the power of our phones, right? So our phones and the notifications are these, Andy Crouch would say, we're constantly being nudged by our devices. But the question is, are they leading us to a life we actually want? And so when you think about the nudges of technology to distract, to consume, to compete or compare, those are nudges that are kind of that desire of the flesh that really kind of leads to death, (laughs) leads to death of creativity or relationships or innovation or life. But I really am prayerful that the rhythms would be nudges toward the Spirit, like nudges that actually keep us showing that kind of fruit of love and joy and peace, gentleness, kindness, that would nudge us every day, every morning as we decide to be intentional instead of reactional to the device nudges, because those want us to just react. They just want us to get fired up. But I believe this kind of a purposeful intention replaces that, and then in a year— Maybe you've tried a bunch of new things. Maybe you've grown in relationships here or there. Or you maybe you look back at the way things used to be and you go, like, I don't really even want that life anymore. I don't want to return to life post-COVID the way I left it. Like I want to be a new creation. What a challenge for every single one of us to choose like which nudges we're going to respond to and really to be honest and take some inventory and say, okay, I've been responding too much to some of these like tech nudges or whatever they might be, right? I see it happening with my kids and I see me leading by that poor example too, right? Yeah, I mean, it's as simple as like every time you sign up for something, they say, do you want to turn on notifications? Like in other words, can we ping you? Mm -hmm. Can we continue to try to get your attention? And just that challenge that this planner and journal and your book are they're offering a gentle whisper of an invitation Mm. to choose an interruption of the best kind yeah if i can borrow back from what we talked about just saying i'm going to respond to this nudge today and i know that my life's going to be better for it i know that my mental health is going to be better for it and lord knows i mean there's a whole lot of us who need to take steps in that direction to respond to that nudge from a god who speaks in a gentle whisper but he always speaks with truth his hugs last longer than seven seconds and we need that we need time with him first and foremost The holidays are fast approaching, and I'm taking some inventory on the year that was. And as I look back at the year of 2020, I've had a parenting fail. I've let my kids spend more time in front of devices and televisions than any year before, and I'm not proud of it. But as we turn our attention towards the holidays, I know that trend could easily continue, and I've been looking for ways to break out of that rut, and that's where KiwiCo comes in. If you think it's impossible to get a kid to put down the cell phone or video game and do something that's actually good for their brain? You're wrong. It's possible with KiwiCo. Now, KiwiCo delivers hands-on science and art projects for kids of all ages. Everything needed to spark curiosity and kindle creative thinking, which makes KiwiCo the perfect gift. If you've got a child, grandchild, niece, nephew, or little cousin on your holiday list, you have to check out KiwiCo. Kids can engineer a walking robot, design a paint pendulum, conduct bubble chemistry experiments, and more, all from the comfort of 
of home. My daughter Delaney, my youngest, she loves art. And this Kiwi Co crate we got was the perfect thing. We got to do spin art. We built a spin art device. And in doing so, we learned more about physics. Dad actually got a little bit smarter. But you know what? What was really cool is we weren't watching TV. We were talking to each other. We were hanging out. And you know what? Quality time with my kid, I'm in on that. I'll do whatever it takes. I wonder if KiwiCo might be right for you. You can encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo. When they're finished, watch their confidence be as big as their smile. Doesn't that sound awesome? So listen, with different crates for kids of all ages, there's something for every kid on your list. You can get 50% off the first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code WEST at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at KIWICO.com. Use the promo code WEST. Here's what I love. One, I love everything you've shared during this time. Number two, I love that to me, when I hear you talking about rhythms for life and rhythms for renewal, I can't help but connect what you shared about your rescue moment to what you're now being equipped to write and how the Lord continues to use the rescue moment in your life and what you've dealt with, the highs and the lows and the brokenness and allowing God to meet you in that brokenness. It's equipped you. And now you've stepped in, you've been intentional, you've done the work, and there's a whole lot of people who are going to be impacted because of that. I'm thankful for your rescue moment leading to rhythms for renewal and rhythms for life because there's a whole lot of people who need to step into Mm -hmm. a healthier rhythm for their life. And I'm one of them. So thank you so much for being part of this show. I have one last question. And I feel like maybe you've already answered it, but I always ask every guest what their blue couch moment is. And mine is the moment where I found God sitting on a blue couch watching a Billy Graham crusade where he became real to me. I feel like you've already shared one in a sense in that rescue moment where you raised your left hand. Just that image was so powerful, feeling the weight of his glory. But would you want to leave the listeners with any other blue couch moment that feels real to you and reminds you of a real God you serve? Yeah, I think that was the moment So this happened in September, and three months later, we had New Year's Eve, and where we all went around the table, we were hosting, and we said, name your year in a word. And everyone kind of said a word, and it got to me, and without even thinking, I said, rescue. And they're like, we've walked you through this, but what does that mean? I said, it's the first time I've experienced the rescue of God in the 30 years I've called myself a Christian. Mm. So that would be my blue couch moment, because at five, I accepted Christ, I think, maybe possibly because I didn't want to burn, you know, as a five-year-old, like that feels like a very successful evangelistic strategy. Yeah. Like yeah. scare the hell out of you. Is, <laughs> exactly. is how they would say it. Yeah. <laughs> but I also did know that I believe that Jesus was who he said he was and that he came and I wanted to follow him. So I know it was sincere. I just didn't know maybe fully at age five, what I was being saved from. And at 36, I knew. I just think how kind of God to like allow me to walk with him throughout my adolescence and into college and into motherhood and have those intimate moments with him. But for him to still go on that blue couch moment midlife, go like there's still so much more. That's awesome. How good of God. I love what you just shared. Thank you for sharing your story today. We're going to post links to your new planner and journal and to Rhythms of Renewal, but I'm also going to post links to your first books Because I think what you shared about surrender and freedom are really important for people to hear right now. So thanks for being on this show. It really means a lot to me. And I hope, uh, you know, however the vetting process 
continues. I'm sure there's about, what, eight or nine more steps before you decide if I'm worthy. We'll see if we can expedite those for you. Okay, maybe I can make it on your (laughs) podcast one of these days. This was so much fun. Yeah, I loved it. It really impacted me in a big way. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, it's time for Songs from the Story House. Today's song from the Story House is hot off the presses. It's my latest release. It just came out last week, just in time for an overlooked holiday that rarely gets the love when it comes to themed music. That's right, my friends. I bring you maybe the most deeply spiritual song I've ever written in the history of my career. It's time for Gobble Gobble. I thought I'd get serious here, get vulnerable, honest, and share the heart behind this deep and meaningful song. I was crying out to God one night in my bed, and I just felt like the Lord whispered into my ear, gobble, gobble, my child. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know how like when you, you hear somebody talk about the story behind the song, it's always something deep and heart-wrenching, and I love that. I love sharing that part too, but this is not that. So several years ago, I did an interview with my friends on K-Love, Scott and Kelly, And it was close to Thanksgiving, and they know that I like to make up songs. And so on the radio show, they had listeners call in to throw in things that they wanted me to put into like some little jingle. And words like tofurkey came in, which I don't even know what that is. It sounds like a swear word. But I had to kind of make up this goofy thing on the spot. Well, it turned into this chorus like gobble, gobble one, gobble, gobble two. Take a listen to it here. Gobble, gobble one. Gobble, gobble two. Gobble, gobble me. Gobble, gobble you. Listen to me now. Gobble, gobble three. Gobble, gobble four. Gobble, gobble please. Can I have some more? Now, what I didn't expect is that several years later, my friends Scott and Kelly on K Love Radio, reaching millions of people every day would pull that interview out and play it repetitively. And I also didn't expect that listeners would call in requesting the Gobble Gobble interview and fake song. So this year, well, let's just say I had a little bit of extra time on my hands. You know what I mean? 80 canceled shows. I got together with my buddy, AJ Proves, who's kind of one of my creative right-hand men, and I said, we're going to write the greatest Thanksgiving song in the history of the world. And my friends... We did not succeed, but we had a good time writing Gobble Gobble. I stick a straw in the gravy bowl. Yeah, I'ma eat a dozen dinner rolls. Stretchy pants on, that's how I roll. No judgment here, no judgment here. Grandpa's passed out passing gas, but we got pumpkin candles burning just for that. Someone brought up politics, now everybody's mad. But you can't be mad when the whole world's singing. Now, the song comes complete with a music video, and the inspiration for the music video, I said to my director, was two words, food fight. We had an epic food fight. The West family got dressed up in weird costumes, and basically, I guess what I'm saying is this song and this video are taking you maybe deeper into the mind of my creative genius than ever before, and I'm not sure you're ever going to want to return. But hey, we got a laugh. The West family needed a laugh. Maybe you and your family need a laugh this year. I got a feeling... Laughter has been outnumbered by the tears that we've cried this year. And, you know, the Bible talks about a merry heart and how it's good like medicine. And so my hope is that this song and this video puts a smile on your face. And maybe as you gather around the Thanksgiving table, you'll find yourself pausing for a moment to reflect 
And then at the top of your lungs, your entire family will start singing these words. Well, he's my dad, and he gives good advice. He and my mom are currently recovering from COVID-19, but he said nothing would stop him from showing up and encouraging you with some dad advice. So let's go. He is my dad, and he gives good advice. And that's why this segment is called Dad Advice. Dad, this is a dad advice like we've never done before. As I'm talking to you, I'm looking across the yard at your apartment some listeners might not realize that we live together but separate you guys have an apartment directly across from the story house studio and normally you're in the story house recording with me for the podcast you've tested positive for covid and you've kind of been knocked out for the last couple weeks i wanted to check in on you and see how you're doing well thanks matthew it's been uh something we least expected and how are you feeling right now Right now, we feel like we've rounded the band, just feel so much better and ready to get back to what we normally do. And also with population, we... What's been the worst part of it? I mean, what were some of the worst symptoms? Well, the worst symptoms were in the middle of the night. I just wake up in cold sweats. My head was just soaking wet, like I took a shower and it was just so sick. And then following that of course, is just the fatigue, just feeling tired, no energy. We pray that during this time that we just open to God and His Word. His Word is the big comfort. So I just try to be in His Word, but when you're fatigued and battling, it's hard to stay in the Word of God. And I'd encourage everyone out there that's battling and whatever it might be, it might not even be COVID, that the devil will do his best to keep us from God's Word. And that's where we find our strength, being in God's Word and in God's presence. That's a good word. And a lot of people have been praying for you and mom. And I'm so glad to be able to give everybody an update that you guys feel like you're turning the corner. You and mom have spent your whole lives encouraging other people, pouring into other people. And even with our quarantine quiet times and now dad advice through every episode of the podcast. I know everybody out there listening hopes that you too can stay encouraged. So what do you feel like the Lord's been teaching you during this time? And even though you're weak and weary, is there any bit of dad advice that you want to pour out to the people? Yes. Well, all through the Bible, God gives us invitations to come. And uh, the one that really stuck out the most during this time, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. The words weary sticks out. There are a lot of people that are weary. And we get a lot of prayer requests come in. And Matthew, here's a couple. Diane wrote, so I needed this today 
talking about our quarantine quiet times. I didn't sleep last night struggling with so many emotions. Job loss and financial struggles have overwhelmed us. I am weary. Tammy wrote, can you pray that I will have more patience in my life and feeling overwhelmed with life and frustrated with life and depressed with life. So that word weary sticks out. The word heavy burdens. People are just burdened with so many things, more than just COVID. But then the promise, I will give you rest. So that verse just kind of stuck out to your mom and I during this time and just speaks volumes. There's so many other scriptures, you know, Psalm 35, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so we are thankful for that and thankful for that invitation that Jesus is calling all of us to come to him and especially to the weary and to those who carry heavy burdens. There's rest for all of us. That's a good word, dad. Thank you. I know people love the dad vice segment of the podcast. And so thank you for being willing to hop on, even though you're still recovering from COVID. Just know that we're all praying for you and mom, and hopefully you'll be back up and ready to devour a Thanksgiving turkey. Hopefully you guys get your sense of taste back. I've never known you to miss a meal. (laughs) That's right. But we're thanking God for victory, and we want to just share to everyone, just stay strong. Whatever you're facing, God is with us and going to give us the power to overcome. That's a good word, Dad. Rebecca Lyons talked about how the interruptions in our lives can be an invitation, and uh, you just summed that up perfectly, and that even in your fatigue, even in your illness, there's that invitation to come unto Him, all who are weary, and there's a whole lot of weary people right now. This pretty much sums up what 2020 has been like. Even the ones we're closest to, we've had to be separated from at different times, and yet we can still stay connected and hopefully stay encouraged. So thanks for that much-needed reminder and we're all praying for you. Thanks, Matthew. Love you. Love you, Dad. Well, my friends, that's our show for today. I want to thank my guest, Rebecca Lyons, for sharing so authentically, so honestly, with her heart on her sleeve, and it spoke straight to my heart. And I got a feeling it spoke to you too. Isn't that awesome how God works? He speaks through each one of us to reach each one of us. And I'm so grateful for the way that God speaks. The question is, are we paying attention? So I hope it spoke to your heart in a powerful way. I want to thank my dad for joining me. What a trooper. And thank you for praying for my mom and dad as they recover from COVID-19. As always, dad comes in strong, COVID or not, with some awesome dad advice. For links to Rebecca Lyons' book and 90-day planner, visit matthewwest.com slash podcast. We'll also post a link to the music video for the deeply touching and meaningful holiday song, Gobble Gobble. Now, go out and make the most of the one story that you get to write. And remember, it's your story for his glory. Gobble Gobble, everybody. I'll see you next week. Seriously, I, I, I do.